Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. All right. uh, Welcome back for another episode of T-Bone Speaks. And uh, I'm continuing my series on the Millennial Dentist. Quite frankly, I, I'm selfishly, I'm uh, absorbed by these folks. I can't figure them out. And um, instead of just saying I can't figure them out, I've uh, convinced myself that uh, we need to figure them, them out. And I think there's not a lot of difference uh, between us and them. And it really kind of reminds me of uh, how we grew up. And in, in a way, like your parents probably said, you guys, you know, we're going to be the ruin of our generation. And so it's no different. But uh, really selfishly, I've got three things I want to accomplish with this podcast series. Uh, Number one, I want us to, selfishly, I want to show millennials that they can have traditional dentistry, that they don't have to necessarily work for somebody right out of school, or they don't have to continue to do that. I want to uplift them and show them that I believe that this debt, this debt that they all have and how they use it to hold them down, I believe that that is uh, BS, to be quite honest with you. Number two, I think our profession needs this. Our profession needs our current generation, the generation ahead of me and the generation behind me, millennials. I need us all to get along because otherwise our profession might be in a very different space. And then number three, I've just got to, you know, for myself, you know, I don't want to be that person I laughed at when I first started speaking and when I got out of school and started practicing saying, these guys are old school, they don't know what's going on. I never want to be that. So I want my generation of dentists that are listening to this to see what's coming behind us. What is going to overtake us? What is the Apple to BlackBerry? What is you know, the digital camera to Polaroid or to Kodak. And, you know, I think it's important for us to see those things. So today I have on Dr. David Scardella. Am I saying that correctly, David? You're saying it perfectly. Oh, well, welcome. And he is our millennial guest for the day. Does that bother you that I call you guys a millennial? You know, I guess, um, I don't know if I really think of myself as a millennial. I guess I am technically based on my birthday and born in 1983, but... 83, that's my brother's age. Nice. Yes. You know, I met your brother. Oh, yeah? Really? Where at? I did. Well, I did my residency at the Washington, D.C. VA hospital, and we did oh, our so that, old... they would uh, they would go through there. I didn't know well, that. Also, I did... We would go through the Washington Hospital Center, right. a little surgery clinic. Yep. So we... Um, he was actually he had just finished. He was an attending. He was a first-year attending. Yeah, and now he's a program the, director. Oh, nice. Yeah. So wow. He's we're trying to off up. the person yeah. in, uh, ahead of him. Uh, Dr. Uh, Obeid, we're trying to, I'm trying yes, to figure out a way yes. to poison him so my there, brother yeah. can uh, become chairman or whatever the hell, you know, the, you know, the hierarchy in academia, but, uh, you know, 
And technically, you know, really, I probably don't want to do that because I really want my brother to move back. So if he became chairman or whatever that would be, I think the likelihood of him moving back. Was he mean to you, by the way? You know what? I can't say he was. I think he was pretty gracious. You oh, know, come up, on, up man. On. Yeah. No, Tell he was me some good. bads, man. He's so much nicer no. than me. That drives me a little <laughs> bit nuts. He was. He was very nice. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, he's. I would use the word very fair. He's uh, more patient than I am. I'm uh, yeah. ADD and uh, want it all right now, so... Yeah, we were only there for, you know, I think three or four weeks. So it wasn't, you know, wasn't a whole year or anything. Well, that was enough time to screw things up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, and we did plenty of that. They just kind of, you know, they just kind of put us in different rooms and, you know, had us work up the cases. And then they came in there and, you know, actually did this stuff. So we oh, were so just kind of like, just uh, set everything up like an assistant, yeah. basically. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Take awesome. the history, you know, write up the notes at the end. It was all that. Yeah. Oh, even I need one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, so, so listen, who is David Scardella and, and how did you get where you're at? And give us kind of in, in three, four, five minutes, kind of give us the sales pitch on who you are. Sure. Well, I David Scardella was born in Princeton, New Jersey. I grew up there for about 16 years and then I went off to, to a boarding school where I played hockey. Well, I went to school also, but, you know, played hockey there. And the goal of playing college hockey, which I accomplished, and I was a Division three hockey player, went to a small school in Connecticut called Wesleyan University. Some of our listeners may have uh, heard of it. It's the alma mater of Bill Belichick. I'm a Giants fan, you know, living in the uh, Patriots neck of the woods, which is never fun. Well, you're from the Giants area. That's right. They play in New Jersey. Exactly. Yep. So, and then I migrated, took a year off after college and just to get my stuff in order to apply to dental school, ended up back in New Jersey, an in-state student at what was called uh, New Jersey Dental School, which is now Rutgers School of Dental Medicine. Did my four years of dental school there. So having the uh, opportunity to only pay about 50 or 60 grand a year was, was very lucky of me. And then I did a one-year residency at the Washington, D.C. VA Medical Center, which is exactly where I wanted to go because they don't see any children. They don't do any ortho and uh, you know, pretty much get to do whatever they want on the patients because money is not a factor. The, it's all on the but government money is side. a factor. You are, now that you're earning income, you will be paying for that. <laughs> That's true. Yes, my taxes go into that. And some of the crazy things that go on at the VA uh, in terms of money wasting is just, it's, yeah, it's kind of a little sickening, but you know, it's a great place to learn dentistry because you don't have to worry about talking to the patient about, well, can you afford the implant or should we do the bridge? Should we do the partial or we're just going to take the tooth out and leave what it you space? Want. Do whatever you want. And it was great. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, specialists as well as uh, general dentists. So learned a lot there. And then um, my wife's from Massachusetts. So that's what brought me back to Massachusetts, which is actually where I went to, to high school. So worked as an associate for two years and then uh, decided I wanted to buy a practice. So I bought an existing practice in a town called Duxbury, which is down on the South Shore, about 45 minutes south of Boston. We're right above Cape Cod, right next to the yeah. town of Plymouth, which is where the Pilgrims landed, if you remember back yes, in your U.S. history. From fourth grade yeah. history, I think. That's right. Yeah. Plymouth Rock. So we're right near Plymouth for those you know who don't have a map in front of them. And yeah, and so I've been about two years now into practice ownership as the sole proprietor, um, the, the selling dentist stayed on for a year afterwards, but it's been me for the, about the past year. Yeah, All right. So. So let's start with your your VA residency. Th thank sure. you for that. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, let me back up. I'm sorry. How much debt did you come out of school with? 
Well, I was, like I said, very fortunate to only come out with about $200,000 in debt. Actually, I would say it was about 180 and during my residency, another 20 in interest accrued. So 200,000 was my nut to pay off. And I was also very fortunate to have a grandmother who subsidized my school, I should say my living expenses, with about $10,000 a year. So if I didn't have that, it probably would have wound up around 240. So I I came out with 200 and, um, you know. So did that weigh on you some of the decisions that you made? In terms of going to dental school, do you mean? No, 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 no. Oh, I mean, just afterwards, you know. Afterwards, what? I'm talking. You sure. know, I, I want to focus on the afterwards. Yeah, it really didn't. You know, I kind of knew that I had applied to other private schools and had an opportunity to go to some private schools, and so you know, I knew what the students coming out, you know, the graduates of those schools were coming out with, and so my 200 as opposed to 350 or 400 at that time was, you know, I was like feeling pretty lucky about that. So I kind of felt like, you know, I could do whatever I wanted, I guess. And I think probably what you're getting at is, well, do you do a residency? Do you just go out and work? Uh, Coming from my school, actually, just about everyone does a residency. Uh, It's not required in New Jersey, but just about everyone does. And they really, even from day one, you know, kind of drilled it into that you were going to do a residency, you know, whether it was specialty or, or general practice after you graduated. So, okay, so now you feel blessed to have 200 grand in debt only. <laughs> Very okay. blessed, yeah. I yeah. came out with 80 grand and somebody called me pigheaded that I'm not in touch with what's going on. And, and listen, I, I firmly believe, and I'll say this on every episode that we do, is that I would pay 200, 300, 400 grand to have the income potential and the life we have. Let's pretend your debt was doubled. I mean, would, you, would it be safe to say that some people come out with 400 grand in debt? Easy. Yeah, sure. Okay. Of course. So would that have changed anything you did? Would that have weighed on you differently? Would it have changed anything? Probably not. I mean, I probably still would have done the residency. You know, that was, uh, I, I feel like really important, at least to my development as a dentist. Um, would I have heard, you know what? I, it may have changed my decision in purchasing the practice, the specific practice that I purchased, which was somewhere in between a startup and uh, an existing practice. I actually made more, uh, was earning more income as an associate. I had a, I had a great income as an associate. Uh, it just wasn't what I wanted to do in terms of I wasn't able to do all the procedures I want, you know, the materials. I wasn't able to run things kind of the way I wanted to, but the income w- was great. So maybe I probably would have stayed there a little bit longer and just started. It would have you changed know. your outcome. It might have changed the timing a little bit. Yeah, I think that's probably safe to say. Right. Yeah. Did you enjoy your residency at the VA? Loved it. Loved it. What, what kind of stuff did you do there? What was your main focus of what you wanted to do there? Well, going into it, I pretty much thought I want to get as much practical, private practice type experience as out I can. Out of VA. So, out of VA, right. <laughs> well, I mean, what I mean by that is I wanted to be able to do, you know, crown and bridge. I wanted to have some implant exposure. I wanted to take out teeth. Uh, I didn't want to... I we don't want to do some endo and get a good mix. I didn't want to um, a lot of residencies, you know, depending where you are, you know, you could just be doing oral surgery, you know, half the time or okay, more. So you weren't as, you weren't necessarily looking to go there to become a oral surgeon light. Absolutely not. No. Or, you know, some places they just see emergencies and do, you know, pulpotomies and pulpectomies all day. So I felt like it was really well-rounded in that regard. I have no interest in pediatric dentistry, so I was happy we didn't thank see Thank God there are there. people that do like that. Yeah, thank God. And so it was just kind of well-rounded. And, and then one of the benefits was we did have the opportunity to place and restore, you know, a bunch of implants, which is really something I like doing uh, today. So 
you know, what I was looking for was exactly what I got out of it. A lot of practical experience, not too much time, you know, on anesthesia rotation and, you know, things that I'm not necessarily going to use every day as a general dentist that I know of. Exactly. All right. So now we're done with our residency and you're going to be a good husband or a good boyfriend and follow your wife to Massachusetts, to Plymouth Rock and hang out with the pilgrims. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, what was your decision-making process in choosing where you were going to work or why did you not buy a practice or start a practice right away? Yeah. Well, I felt that after dental school and even after residency, I felt completely inadequate in terms of my uh, business skills. I, I still feel inadequate with them, but I felt that there was a lot to be learned and I certainly uh, didn't know anything about private practice. My dad and my mother are not dentists. My uncle and aunts aren't dentists. So I'd never worked in a dental office. Uh, so I really didn't know anything about private practice. I knew eventually I'd want to get there and um, own a practice, but I really didn't know the first thing about it. And so I figured associating was the way to go for me. Did you have a timeline in your head that, hey, I, one year, two years, five years? Yeah, probably two to five years. I mean, that's still a broad timeline. In, 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 yeah, not, you know. there's not, you know, I hear a lot of people talk, there's like this burning desire to get out and control everything and to own and, and to, you know, start do a scratch startup. And that's definitely not the way I think about things. So I was happy to associate. And if I found, you know, I think actually what probably would have been ideal is for finding a mentor, you know, or an associateship that had a mentor that, you know, I could have even stayed longer and probably been just as happy. Okay. But I, yeah, right, but so- I kind of felt that it was necessary at that time in my associateship to start looking uh, because it wasn't really fulfilling everything that so, I wanted. So from residency, you were a employee for two years, same yeah. place or multiple places? Just only only one place, actually. Okay. So you said a yeah. key word. It's a buzzword. If you had found a mentor, without I don't want to use names and not throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. What, what does a mentor mean to you? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, and from two <laughs> perspectives, what did it mean? What did you expect it to mean? And right. then what do you think looking back does it mean now to you? And the reason I bring this up is because, look, I'm upfront admitting that I failed in hiring associates. I'm on my fifth one now, and I think I finally found a winner. And I don't know if he's the winner or if I finally figured out what it is I need to be. But I'm convinced that when we graduate 5,000 dental students a year, 62, north of 60% of them are going to work for large group practices, what you guys refer to as corporate dentistry. I don't refer to it as that personally. I think the reason is, is because oftentimes you, your generation is led to believe that that is the only choice. And I think it really comes down to, honestly, it's the mindset of my generation not being prepared or being forward focused enough. So define mentor from what you expected it to be and kind of looking back what you would have liked to have seen differently. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. 
Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So, are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com, check out our upcoming sessions, and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Sure. Well, you know, it's, I think with a mentor, really the most important thing is they have to, they have to want to be a mentor. You know, it can't just be someone coming in kind of expecting that mentorship without the other doctor there actually, you know, maybe giving up some of their time sometimes to actually mentor the mentee. So I think it's a definitely a two-way street. So the person has to be, the mentee has to be ready and the mentor has to be ready as well. Absolutely. And I think if, if either the, let's say you're coming into a practice and the owning, the owner of the practice is, you know, has a really super busy schedule and uh, maybe they just want to continue producing and they just want to have someone, you know, kind of pick up the extras, you know, they might not be ready to be a mentor or somebody who wants to take more time off and not be in the office as much is not ready to be a mentor either. So it's kind of a unique situation where I don't know too many people who have that who have found that perfect one where the mentor is in the practice and has, you know, time to actually, you know, sit down and, and go through things with the young doc. Um, now, so, let me ask you this, if you don't yeah. mind, I, and I want you to keep your thought. I, I apologize in advance. I'm notorious for interrupting people. Okay. Um, go for it. I got to take, take a sip of my beer anyway. It, so it's my, good for you. You millennials or something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, in debt, up to your eyeballs, but still buying beer. Awesome. I drink water. <laughs> no, no I made a, this beer. No. Oh, even worse. We've got time for that. No value for time. Uh, so who is the onus on? Is the onus on the mentor or the mentee? And don't say equal. Oh, God. All right. You stole my answer. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it's probably more on, I'm going to say the mentor. You know, The mentor. I, really think, I do. But you're the yeah. one looking for a job. It's true. Yep. Well, I think, you know, when it comes to that type of, situation. It's only going to work. I think you can mentor someone without them necessarily even knowing they're being mentored. But if that mentor isn't ready to to teach and to do the work and to pass on what they know, it's, it's never going to work. You know, and what I was going to say, you know, a few seconds ago was just that in the, my situation, it was where the, the owning doc pretty much wasn't there. So I came in and I thought that, I, you know, I, came, I was coming into a busy practice and I thought that the doctor was going to be there and he wasn't. And so you were know, you dentist number two or three? I was dentist number two and I was full-time. There was actually another okay. young millennial dentist who was part-time. And Even millennial to the millennial. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, and, okay. And, and listen, there's no right answer to who the onus is on. Um, what I'm learning and it, it just kills me. Okay. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. It, it kills me. Uh, and maybe this is the immigrant mentality in me. To me, the onus falls completely on the mentee because if the mentee doesn't ask for it, demand it, and expect it, what can the mentor give? The mentor can only, you know, from my perspective, I can only give 
what you want. Right. And I don't know what you want. I don't know what you're good at. I don't know, you know, what your long-term visions are. And uh, so, so that's, that's listen, I, again, no right or wrong right. answer. So, um, so my, my counterpoint to that would be w- so one is y- you have to be, you know, you yourself, you know, have to know that you are ready to be a mentor, right? And then I'd like to think about how many people out there do you say, oh, I'm searching for a mentor. I mean, everyone says that. They, everyone wants a mentor. And how many people do you know out there who are saying, uh, you know, especially the older docs, you know, even o- older Define than you. Define older. Define older. Uh, let's say uh, been in practice 20 plus years, 25 years. Okay. okay and, so is it by they, the number of years in practice or the age? Oh, let's say the number of years in practice. Okay. So yeah, I've but, been in practice now 18 years. Yeah. Okay. So I'm well, an old I'm doctor. Older, older than the millennials, I guess. <laughs> okay. but what I'm saying is, I mean, how many of these doctors your age or older are saying, oh, I just, you know, I'm looking for the right mentee. I, I need somebody to mentor. And I think you see it the other way. So no. I don't know if the, the yeah. onus is, you know, when you find somebody who wants to be a mentor and somebody who wants to be mentored, in that case, yeah, I think you're right. Definitely, the onus is definitely on the, the mentee to really... Yeah, you know, I, the, reason I, the reason I'm so big on this is, um, so listen, I, I'm in a unique position in that I speak and work with and have a lot of interactions with older dentists, younger dentists, my age dentists, and mm-hmm. most people my age, I'm 41 years old, are not hiring associates. Most right. people my age are in their, I call it complacency zone, where they're making good money, they spent their 10, 15 years developing, you know, building their practice. And I want to change the mentality of my age dentist that I think they should all get associates. I think at about year 10 is when you should be already be saying, listen, I need to grow and expand my practice. And I can get into different reasons why. But I think one of the reasons we're not doing it is because we don't understand the mentor-mentee relationship as it pertains to your generation. My generation, it was almost a given. Our personalities were such that we would go out and we would be, I want to say, we we were so beat down (laughs) that that we felt that that's what we had to do, that we had to go work for somebody and be there for four, five, six years, you know, learn everything, do the scrap dentistry that you kind of alluded to. That was kind of the mindset that I had going in. And I think the mindset that many of you guys have now is very different from that. In in what way? That we just kind of want everything right away? No, no, I think think that's a generic, BS term, and I'm guilty of saying that. Um, no, I, look, I wanted everything right away, too. I still want right. everything right away. I think there's nothing wrong with that, okay, wanting it. But I think ultimately what I mean by that is I think, look, and I'm, I, I'm not trying to interject my bias because I'm really trying to be open-minded here for myself and for our listeners, is that I don't look at it that things that it took me 10, 15, 20 years to get to clinically, and communication wise, I don't believe I should give those procedures to you. Uh, right. I believe that you should learn how to do those things, earn the right to do those things, and then request mentorship on those things when you get a patient to say yes. I don't view my practice as a residency where I'm purposely looking for people to give to you. And it's not for me, and I think for many people, it's not necessarily a production thing. I think it's more of a a rite of passage, which, which I'm learning that uh, is a bad idea. <laughs> People aren't so, yeah, so hot on that idea. 
No, to, to a, listen, people want to get out and they want to do implants and they want to do right. cosmetic right. cases. And, you know, my argument has always been, well, I get that you want to do a 10 unit case, but have you done two or three teeth in a row? Have you done four right. teeth in a row? I mean, how can you go from one tooth to eight teeth? One teeth times eight is not an eight unit case. So, so here's my, here's my question to you then, because I, I've heard you talk in a couple of podcasts before. Yeah. And you, you know, you're not as big of a fan of uh, residencies as as myself. No, so wouldn't no, that I'm, I'm wouldn't not. that be a stepping stone in, I think, where they can do that? I mean, that's how I look at. It. I mean, yes. you know, that's where I got to place my first implants, yeah. restore my first implants, multiple units, and you know, crown and bridge and stuff like that. I mean, I wasn't sure, doing your residency rehabs, is different. But. Not every AGD or GPR or VA residency is that way. It's not the same. Some, like I alluded to, come out wanting to be very surgically oriented. I just believe that selfishly, you can go work with great work ethic and get much more experience in one year. My, my counter to you would be <laughs> that, for example, uh, if you had worked for someone like me, you would learn not only the clinical skills that you learned in your residency, but you'd learn how to manage a team. You'd learn how to manage a business. You'd learn how to market. You learn all those things that, quite frankly, you just didn't learn in VA school. I, I can promise you that you didn't learn those in yes, any meaningful way. Sure, but so we just took a, I just took a year to learn clinical stuff, and then you know you go out and and then wouldn't you rather have a an associate who's had some of those clinicals skills that are, you know, they're up to speed and they've learned some more complex procedures and, and then they come in and then you're still going to, you know, show them some of the other stuff that you just mentioned, or would you rather have them kind of starting lower on the, yeah. the totem pole? I, I think, I think we're going to spin our wheels on this one, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably true. Here, here's what I'll say. Yeah. I believe I'm right. What I'm realizing right. is I'm alone in this battle. Okay. okay. So yeah. I'm still, again, I think residencies are good. I don't yeah. think they're the best use of your, you know, all you guys do is, again, I, I very generalize. You guys complain about your debt, but yet yeah. you go work somewhere where you on your own admission gain $20,000 <laughs> in interest debt, okay, yeah. when you could have gone out and made 120, 150, whatever the number may be, right. paid down your debt, learned, maybe not as much, but let's say learned as much in the right situation and gain other valuable experiences. It's just, it's like, it's like my friends that went to the military. I said, that's crazy. I mean, that's right. not for me, but I don't poo-poo that at all. Okay, no more about my beliefs here, okay? Um, <laughs> so now let's talk about your decision to uh, leave. Now, by yeah. the time you left, two years in, you're ready to leave. You started yeah. maybe a little bit before that yeah. uh, in your decision process. Had you paid down your debt accelerated or was it just on a normal payment schedule? It was on a normal payment schedule. No, I okay. would say at that time it was accelerated. I refinanced pretty quickly after, you okay. know, which is a smart after, thing to do. I hear. Yeah. Um, and I've refinanced since then. Um, so now I have incredibly low interest rate and I'm, I'm okay. pretty much just paying the minimum cause it's, it's so low. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was paying it down at a little bit of an accelerated rate as much as I could. Um, but you know, we still needed some, some money to live on Boston. We were in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time, which is a pretty pricey place to live. Um, of you course, know, like, you millennials, not only are you debt ridden, <laughs> not have, not have enough jobs out there, right. you've got to live in the, let me guess, you had oh. a six bedroom apartment in a high rise overlooking <laughs> no, no. the water or something. Well, we actually moved into the, the house where my wife grew up, which okay. was owned by her sister at the time. We still paid rent. It was not, okay. you know, still a lot of money, but, uh, yeah, it's just a two bedroom apartment. I'm giving apartment. you guys a hard time. Yeah. Um, so I paid it down a little bit accelerated, um, but you still you had know, what, 180, 175 in, in debt at by, this point by the time I left my associateship. Yeah. Or, or at this point now, 
No, no, at your time you left your associateship. Uh, uh, yeah, probably 150. Okay, so nonetheless, still a, a significant sum of money. Yeah, yeah, okay. oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about, did that weigh on you to open your practice? Or did you feel these golden handcuffs that you had to uh, stay at your job? No, neither really. Um, I would say it was probably, yeah, I more felt like I had to stay just because I knew that I wasn't, I was making good money that wasn't probably typical of an associate and that it was a possibility that as an owner, depending on you know, what type of practice I either bought or started up, I wasn't going to have actually the same income as I did uh, as an if associate. If you don't mind, what kind of money were you making? No, I don't mind. Um, the first uh, year out was about 250 Okay. Were you paid yeah. on a percentage? I was. 35% okay. of production. Production, not even collections? Not even adjusted production. Jesus Christ. I know, yeah. Is that practice well, in business still? <laughs> that practice is still in business, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, but, so you had, a, you had a sweet deal there. A sweet deal, exactly, yeah. Okay. So that was... Um, had you, you know, saved a lot of money too? Um, no. Talk to me about that. If you don't, okay. So if you don't mind, why not? What do you mean by a lot of money? Was I saving on a regular basis? Yes. Yes, I was. Were you saving enough to put down payments and with the idea that, Hey, I'm going to open my practice. I'm going to build a practice, whatever it may be. Um, well, you don't really have to worry about down payments for, you know, unless you're, I guess, buying a piece of real estate, which I, you know, didn't have any intention of doing at the time. So I was just saving just general savings, you know, um, for my, for myself and my family, kind of putting okay. it away every month as a, as a bill pretty much. Okay. So I have a podcast that talks about that. Uh, I want to say it's episode four or five of season one, where we talk about practice savings and personal savings. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So now walk me through your decision to buy a practice versus scratch start. Oh, that was an easy one for me. Uh, I don't like living without any money at all. I did that enough during dental school and residency. uh, But, you know, there was just no way I was going to do that again. Um, So I know very well that when you 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 do a scratch start, you're going to, it's probably going to be a while before you can pay yourself. And I have a couple, you know, close friends who are kind of in that zone now. And it's uh, it's just absolutely not something that ever crossed my mind. Okay. It was always from the beginning, buy a practice with some cash flow. So you're cash flow positive? essentially from month two, three, four, whatever it may be? From month one. Month one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, okay. So did you have a hard time getting a loan for your practice? I did not. Did you have Um, to go to a loan shark? I did not. Nope. I I, I say these things somewhat jokingly, but because these are things that people tell me, right? That they tell me like, you don't understand, you're pigheaded, you're out of, you know, out of touch that you came out with little debt and you didn't have to go to loan sharks. I mean, you right. didn't have these well, handcuffs on you. I mean, I think coming out of school, if you come out of school right away and, and you want to do a startup, that's going to be tougher these days, um, okay. you know, with no experience. But people and, are doing it. I think people are doing, but I, you know, I think they want to see at least uh, six months now, a year of work, you know. Of production for, for ability. Production. Yeah, sure. Yeah. To show you can actually do something. Uh, and then they'll give you a check for $450,000. Okay. Uh, <laughs> How big of a but, practice did you buy? In terms of production or yeah. patient base? Production. It was, um, collections. I, mean, I don't give a crap about production. <laughs> For me, it's all about collections. <laughs> yeah, collections. Uh, it was about uh, about a million. Okay. Did you feel that that was too big for you? 
No, not at all. No. And, and it's a unique practice, so we might as well talk about it a little bit. Okay. Uh, the practice I bought, the selling doctor, um, he started it about eight years before as pretty much a little boutique practice. Uh, he had two chairs at the time. It was him, his assistant, and his wife, who was the Two chairs manager. when you bought it or when you started? No, when, it was three chairs when I bought it. Two chairs okay. when he started it. He had no hygienist. Um, he referred out his hygiene to a, uh, a periodontist, and he pretty much focused on dentures, mini implants, and cosmetic cases. He liked doing you know, veneers and, and cosmetic cases. And that's pretty much what he did. He went to sell it a little while later and decided, you know, found out no one's going to buy that practice. So he brought an associate on and brought a hygienist on, and that was about a year and a half, two years before I bought it. So the general dentistry side of the practice was not a million-dollar practice. Okay. You know, he had a, a fair amount of production that was from these mini implants, which I had not planned on continuing that service in the practice. So that obviously influenced the purchase price of the practice and how we set up the, you know, the sale and all that. Okay. And were you advised in this process of purchasing? Yeah, I had some uh, some advice. You hesitate. Sounds like you... it sounds like a bad. <laughs> Are you? No, 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 like no, no. I'm asking. I'm asking, I mean, did you have representation? Did you go on the broker's word? Looking back, were you, did you feel like you won in your purchase? Did you feel like you lost in your purchase? No, I, th- I think it worked out well for all, all parties. So you thought it was a fair deal? I thought it was a fair deal because, you know, basically the way we structured it was I paid X amount for the practice. And if we hit certain production goals and the, the plan was for the, the selling doc to stay on for about two years, okay. well, then I would pay him more money over those two years if we hit those goals, both okay. myself personally and the practice and him as well. And he ended up retiring early due to health reasons. And so we didn't. So I actually didn't have to pay him any of that extra money. So I ended up getting a pretty good deal. But he also was able to sell a practice that he might not have otherwise been able to sell. And did the associate that was there stay? No, he left. Yeah. He, leaving or? Plan. Yeah. No intention for him to ever buy in? I, he was not interested. Okay. He's, I think, yeah, still and, working and, a couple of times. And your person that was supposed to stay two years, how long did they stay? A year. A year. And were you okay with that? Yeah. Uh, you know, were I mean, you ready when, for them to go? When somebody has, you know, health issues, uh, okay. you, you know, you kind of deal with it. I wasn't, you know, happy that he was leaving necessarily. It would have been nice, I think, production-wise for, to keep him there another mm-hmm. year. But transition-wise, he had been there a year. The patients had you know, got to know me. Yeah, it was enough. I often hear that people struggle with this clash of the new owner and the yeah. old owner still wanting to be the person or in the team members or the patient's mind, you know, yep. he or she is still the person. Well, Did I you think you got to find – no, I think – that was all kind of hashed out beforehand. I okay. mean, you know, multiple meetings with him. You know, I mean, the first thing before we even met, he sent me a, you know, 15 question, you know, just like little a Scientology exam. Yeah. Just to find out. Um, what is this? The NFL combines? The Wonderland test? <laughs> yeah. Just to kind of find out, you know, what I was looking for, whether it matched up with what he was. We had lunch. We had a, a number of meetings before we decided to go forward. And I think personality wise, we meshed really well. Um, we both kind of knew what we wanted from it. And yeah, it really was a pretty seamless transition. The only thing that wasn't probably seamless is the fact that he liked doing mini implants and I liked doing implants. And so who won that battle? Well, I think I did because, uh, <laughs> you know, once I came did, along. Did he, let me ask you this. Did he place mini implants while you were the, while you were the owner? Yes, he did. Okay, yes. So, yeah. so this is such a millennial thing, for God's sake. <laughs> you did not win that battle. You lost that battle, and you only won because he left. 
Yeah, sure. You okay. can look at it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, the facts are facts. <laughs> All right. right. All right. Good for you. All right. So talk to me about what do you enjoy doing in your practice? I mean, what have you changed? What direction have you taken the practice in? Uh, are you yeah. more general dentistry than before? So, yeah, by far. I mean, we definitely uh, are really trying to build up the hygiene program, which was only about... Do you actually have hygienists? We do. Yeah. Okay, we, well, good. I have no hygienist. One. Okay. One. And, okay. and she's there three days a week now, and she's pretty full three days a week. Good when I you. came in, she was probably about two days a week two to three days a week and not full at all. So okay. definitely building that. what have you that. done to make that happen? You know, I think marketing as well as just, you know, trying to build internal referrals, reviews, you know, all the kind of typical so cliche it sounds like, are, are you a big yeah. marketer? Are you a big internet kind of guy? Or how, how do you handle this? Uh, I hear you guys are all computer whizzes. I mean, you're just like... Yeah, <laughs> I'm not for sure. You know, actually, the, interestingly, the doctor that I bought the practice from, he was marketing like crazy. And we have um, to. For the procedures he was doing, he's got to. Absolutely. And he was um, he was probably spent around 100 grand the year before I bought it on, on marketing. For the year. Uh, for the year. So that's 10%. Was, you know, that's for, 10%. for a growing emerging practice, that's about right. Yeah. Five to and 10%. So he was doing TV, radio... And multiple print uh, media between, you know, direct mailers sure. uh, and, and some online stuff. stuff. Yeah. So I pretty much. Did you, you know, cut all that out? I cut out the TV and the radio. I, I dabbled in the radio again. Didn't work for me. Um, I went to a fair amount of Facebook marketing right now, which is, okay. is, is up and down. And direct. I went back to direct mail. Do you do the Facebook been, marketing yourself? I did for a while. And, and just in the past uh, probably three or four months, I've, I've let my web team... Uh, take okay. over that. And your direct mail, are you doing that yourself or? Uh, nope. I also have a company do direct mail. Okay. And, yeah. and you'd advise other people uh, listening that they were better off letting other people do it unless they're marketing. No, no. It, I think it totally depends on the person. I mean, I know myself and I'm not going to put together the brochure and, you know, you know, have any expertise in what to put and finding the lists of where to send stuff. I know that's not what I'm going to do. So for me, it's definitely more worth my time just to you know have someone else do it, and I can focus on other things. Uh, but I've certainly hear stories of people doing it on you know successfully on their own, and some okay. people are probably you know screaming at their whatever they're listening on, saying you could you should be doing this direct mail stuff on your well, own. That's all valuing your time at the end of the day. That's yeah. how I look at it. Right. You know, it sounds like you're producing pretty well in your practice, and your time should be worth anywhere between six to eight hundred bucks an hour. So at the end of the day, you know, if you're producing that, why in the hell would you spend something that you can outsource for 30, 40 bucks or whatever it right. may be? Yeah. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you probably just don't know what the hell you're doing anyway. That's, uh, that's that, amazing. Nor, and quite yeah. frankly, I don't think the marketers to a certain degree do either. I think they, that's also true. Yeah. I think they spend our money quite well. Yeah, I think uh, so. <laughs> to be honest with you. All right. Yeah. So are you a fee-for-service practice? What, what kind of practice are you? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here, bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all-annex fixed hybrids, mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. 
You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course, it's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. We are a, we're in, in network with two different insurance companies, Delta Dental and Blue Cross. So we're... What percentage of your practice does that represent? Uh, about 30% of it is Delta and probably under 10% is Blue Cross. So we're probably... So about 40%? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. So about 40% of your practices in network, 60% of your patients pay you out of pocket? Out of pocket. Okay. That's nice. I'd like that. Nice. It is. You know, when I, like I said, when I bought it, there's a small practice. We have three chairs there now. So it's definitely more, uh, you know, it's not a high volume practice. It's more. Do you have you room know, to grow uh, capacity wise? We, we unfortunately don't, which is one of the so things I do three regret. Three chairs about. is maxed out. Three chairs and we're maxed out. Okay. Yeah. So you, you were saying before I interrupt you, you regret that. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, because I know that worst comes to worst, my lease is up in, uh, four more years, you know, and we can, we can find another space. But well, for four years, I'll just handicap myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I think there's still room to grow in what we have, you know, so I, we're not maxed out of where we are. So I'm okay. not necessarily looking for an eight chair, uh, you know, practice at this point because uh, they'd have a lot of empty chairs. What, what is people's obsession with having eight chairs for one doctor <laughs> or even six chairs see, for like, one doctor? Six or seven emergencies at once. I mean, what's, that doesn't make any sense. All right. Yeah. So that's nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what, what, are you, what are your goals, man? What, what do you want to accomplish? Um, for, uh, definitely for the practice, obviously want to, I do want to maximize kind of the, the space we have. What, what's um, holding you back now? I don't think anything's holding me back. I think we're growing. I think we're in the process. Um, I think it was slow for a little bit in transition, but it's been actually, you know, taken off a little bit recently. So, you know, like I said, my hygienist was at three days now. I want her to be at, you know, four days, which were open, which might be another one of your complaints about us millennials that we don't want to work, you know, just want to stay open four days a week. No, listen, I, no, I mean, just don't complain about money or <laughs> debt, right? I, mean, I don't care. Look, my belief is, and my, listen, my parents thought I didn't work and I work, right. I mean, right now I work more than ever. I work six days a week, three days in the practice, but all right. So you say, I would say, look, and one of the things before we did the interview, uh, I asked you kind of what services you're providing. One yeah. of the uh, glaring omissions I see on here is there's no orthodontic services in your yeah. practice. Yeah. Yeah. So don't you think that's an area of growth? I mean, to me, that's a, a relatively high revenue process uh, with minimal doctor time there. Yeah. It's, it's crossed my mind. And it's probably on my list of things to do. But uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is focus into the areas that I'm, I think I'm good at and that I really enjoy. So talk to uh, me about that. What are some of the things you're good at and that you enjoy? Well, certainly just crown and bridge and, and implants. And the implants are really my main, main focus. That's probably what I do 
the vast majority of my marketing on is dentures okay, and so, implants. So talk yeah. to me about implant. What kind of implant cases are, are you doing and, you know, all of those things? It's, I'd say that the most common case is a, is a single unit, but okay. certainly multiple units. 80% of them are single units. Sure. And, and overdenture cases. Okay. Snap-ins, lower overdentures? Lower and upper overdenture. Yeah. Okay. All right. And w- let me ask you this. Outside of your VA, what kind of training have you had? Well, that's pretty much what I spent the vast majority of my continuing education on is implants. So I did the VA residency, which was great, both did surgically. You li- did you like implants yeah. before you went to the VA? I knew I wanted to um, have implants be a part of my practice uh, on the restorative side. I wasn't sure yet about the surgical side, okay. but definitely being there helped me kind of. So that you know, introduced you to that. So that, that sparked a passion for you. Absolutely. Yep. So okay. we did that, and uh, I did a uh, continuum, the Angle Institute, which is okay. You with Todd, yeah, Todd, Charlotte. Yep. So I did his M M one, M two, and M three mentoring one, two, and three, and those have been you know fantastic. And then everything from just the lectures that I go see. How um, much money did you, you know, spend on that? On his specifically? Yeah, just generally speaking, on implant CE. I don't know. $30,000. Okay. The reason I ask that is, yeah. is this is my point. Okay. There's a reason yeah. you're where you're at. Okay. Number one, you debt ridden 200 grand, even though somehow the world has thought that that's, that's like fortunate. Okay. <laughs> then you borrowed money to buy a practice. So you're yeah. in even more debt. I always argue that your school debt will be the least amount of debt that you ever have in your life. Okay. Right. Minus the debt you die. Okay. <laughs> um, but yet you spent 30 grand on continuing education, I keep hearing from people they can't afford to take continuing education because of their burdens. Yeah, I mean, I, I you can't really. Do you think afford... that's BS? Like I think. Oh, complete. I think you can't afford not to. Whether you're an associate or hey, hey, it's okay because you're a practice owner. That's why you got to spend that money. No, I think it's. I think it's probably almost easier to spend. I mean, I don't know. In my case, it was easier to spend the money. I think as a associate, just because I was. I was making more money and, and time-wise, I had more time. I mean, as a practice owner, I've got a million got things going on. you yeah, got two jobs. Right. You're, the, so, you're the employee of the practice, the, right. the tooth whittler, and then you're the business owner. And I've got a, you know, a one-year-old <laughs> son. So, uh, you know, that cuts into a lot of the time, too. So you know, finding time now for CE is, is, I think, almost harder. And, and okay. actually, I'm, one of the things uh, for my implant CE I'm doing is an online externship with uh, imp- Online. With Dental XP? With Dental XP. It's 300 yeah. hours of Through NYU online. or wherever those guys are doing it through, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's something I do at, you know, at night and just kind of plug away. I'm probably 150, did, 170 hours into it. Did you expect to do implants in your associateship uh, without having any of the training? I expected to do in, implants in my associateship because, one, I felt prepared to do the single unit cases coming out of residency. And that was a discussion I had with the practice owner at the time. However, I wasn't able to do them. So I didn't do any implants in my associateship because they had a part-time periodontist there. Okay. So they could feed not, two people. It, was, it didn't go over well with the periodontist, the, the new yeah. associate general yeah. dentist wanting to place implants. Okay. So, I get you that. know, I get that too, but it was definitely, a, you know, that's, I'd say one of the big reasons that I left is, is that I wanted to be able to, to do that. I, I really enjoy it. You got to do okay. what you enjoy, you know? Uh, absolutely. That's a, that's a key point. All right. So back to this. Why can't you focus on orthodontics at the same time? I think there's only a certain number of hours in the day. One, I'd say this. My base level of knowledge on ortho is is so miserable. You know, there's probably, 
your dental assistants probably have a higher <laughs> orthodontic level of orthodontic knowledge than I do, which is, is kind of sad, you know, coming out of dental school. But and then <laughs> it's at not the VA, sad coming out of dental school. <laughs> it's expected coming out yeah. of dental school. And and at the VA residency, you know, besides pedo, ortho was the only thing we didn't get into. Okay. So I had no training there. And then it's kind of like, well, you know, do I want and just having very little personal interest in it. So yes, I think you're right. It would probably bring me some revenue. But you know, one, how much am I going to have to invest financially to get there? How much am I going to have to invest time-wise to get there? And it, you'll is invest that going two weekends to... or three weekends to do Invisalign. You you can't look at right. it like implants, where you feel like I got to learn the very Everything. worst yeah, cases. Right, you got to. Yeah. You I mean just like with implants? What did you start with? Single teeth, correct? Yeah, right. You know, yeah. and, and so so with orthodontics, you got to look at it as adult relapse. That's your single right. tooth implant, okay? And then as you do that, you add that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're going to be getting to begin with anyway. You probably have a slightly, your demographic is probably skewed oh, a little bit older in your practice. Very old, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't think adolescent orthodontics would make a lot of sense for you to begin with. Uh, the right. other thing I would bring up to you is that orthodontics is a discipline that you'll need in implant dentistry to move teeth around, oh, to create space, yep. and things like that. So to a certain degree, you're handicapping the types of cases that you can do. And quite honestly, the type of orthodontics I'm talking about for you to do would be something that you can get started in. I don't want to use the word learn, but get started in in one or two weekends, minimal amount of time investment uh, right. from you. And ortho is one of those things that you can truly mentor online, especially if you do a liner type therapy, you can have somebody, an orthodontist friend or local orthodontist or a very highly uh, qualified uh, GP go through your clin checks and things like that with you. I right. I'd really encourage you. I, th I think you're probably leaving probably 10, 15 grand a month on the table by not having that uh, service in your yeah. pocket. And it's I, possible. I think yeah. not possible. I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's okay. I mean, the other thing I noticed in here, um, you provide sedation. I mean, you provide pretty much every service except orthodontics and soft tissue grafting. Well, I'd say the sedation, yeah. I don't provide the sedation, but it's possible in our office we are certified to have an uh, anesthesiologist come in. Okay, and yeah. how often do you do that? Oh, um, I don't know. Probably since in the past two years, I've probably done 10 or 15 cases. Okay, so it's something that's not like a one-off. It's a, a once a month. It sounds like you make it readily available for your patients to choose that option. Absolutely. I think recently they haven't for whatever reason, but definitely, um, yeah, we do make that known. You know, and since we do the denture part of the practice kind of continued over to me, we do a fair amount of immediate dentures. People okay. seem to be want to be put asleep for that. So, yeah. You want them to be asleep for that, to be quite honest. Oh, with you. I, I, yeah, very happy when they choose sedation for that. Now, you also talk about uh, CAD CAM and cone beam. Did those, mm -hmm. did those exist in your practice or did you purchase those? Both. Actually, the owner had the uh, three shaped trios already okay. in the practice. So, so, digital impression? Digital impression. Yeah, we don't mill. I would, on call that, site. I would call that digital impression. I wouldn't even call that CAD or CAM. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess we're not really designing or, yeah. or milling, uh, yeah. manufacturing. But um, and then the cone beam I brought into the practice about uh, five six months after I bought it. What did What did you purchase? Plan Mecca. Plan Mecca. And how did you come about that decision? And that you were ready and needed a cone beam, you could afford the hell. Hell, you were in debt. You borrowed more money, <laughs> and then you yeah. borrowed more money. Yeah. I again, it was one of those things, kind of like see, like I I felt like I could not afford not to have the cone beam in the office. I really, if I wanted, if I wanted to do implants the way I was taught to do implants, the way I learned it in, in residence, starting in residency, I didn't feel like 
I could do that without a cone beam. Yeah, I, you can place implants. There's yeah. a, you know without a cone there's beam, a but you know there's there's definitely a difference. And I think that you know, I wanted to make it a big part of the practice, and I wanted to do not just you know the single unit uh, upper bicuspid cases. I wanted to you know try to do more than that, and I, I didn't think there was any other way besides a cone beam at the time. The the uh, my associate was the the previous owner, and you know cash flow was probably better than even than it is now. And so, you know, I felt like I could afford it. And I think it's one of those things that makes sense. If you want to do implants, you know, you know, get a comb beam and it it pays for itself. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second. So what I'm hearing from you is that you selfishly bought a comb beam for you. Have you found that it's benefited your patients and your case acceptance and your ability to communicate with them? Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, the most important thing is confidence. I mean, you know what you're looking at. You know you're confident whether you can do that case or not. You're not going into the, you know, think, well, I might be able to put an implant here. I'm not sure. We'll see when we get in. They might have to do some grafting. You know, what patient's going to say yes to that? You look at it and you say, you have, you know, great amount of bone. Let's do this implant. You know, it's much more straightforward. And you show, and I tell them, listen, I wouldn't want an implant done on myself without having this imagery. And, you know, you can probably go somewhere and and find someone to do this implant without it. But, you know, this is the way we do things here. And I think portraying that confidence to them definitely increases my case acceptance. So I I think what I find with, and I speak a lot on cone beam, it's one of my areas of expertise is that um, most people buy it for the selfish themselves reason. And I think what they forget to realize is the patient side of it and the benefit that it says gives to the patient from that word that you mentioned, confidence, which is unbelievably important. Well, we got a few minutes left. And uh, so do you have time to turn the table on me? Do you have anything that you want to get off your chest about me or to me or anything like that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, oh, having... Oh, God, uh... <laughs> you said that so fast. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of things. Well, one, uh, you know, I did want to pick your brain a little because I, I have heard you talk about, you know, paying yourself as yes. the practice owner. And um, as, a, as an associate, as an associate, well, I guess how you pay yourself as the owner, you know, you sure. pay yourself as an associate and you, you take uh, whatever, you, you know, as a business owner as well. Yeah. Um, for if myself, there's anything left as a business owner. <laughs> right. For myself, I don't know, just maybe the way my brain works, I find it easier to take a salary for myself. Okay. So, and, you know, so that's, as a, go ahead. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I've done. And I've, I've kept it actually at the same salary since I bought the practice. So I know that I can afford that. And in some months when we have more money, great. Okay. And I, I try to save every month as well. And as money as uh, in some months where we're not making as much money, uh, I can still pay myself. I just might not have as much money to save at the end of the month or any money to save at the end of the month. Well, I'll explain what I do and then why I do it. Okay. Um, so let's, let's start with what I do. It's my belief that you run a business. Okay. You should be compensated as a DDS DMD, and then you should be compensated as an entrepreneur who invested a significant amount of money and risk in your practice. I think too often people don't realize that ultimately they're making zero as a business owner. And I think to a certain degree, I'm not saying you're making zero as an owner, but what you're finding is that you're making less today as an owner of a practice than you were as an associate in your other practice. Yes. A lot of that might have to been, be due to the stupidity of paying you 35% <laughs> of uh, well, gross production. I'm not, I'm not seeing as many, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. But you, have, you probably live a better lifestyle now, too, uh, in terms of practice lifestyle. And so, yeah. so my belief is that you should pay yourself what you would pay somebody else. 
Okay, so if you brought a new associate into your practice, my assumption would be that you would pay them a base guarantee, X dollars. Okay, now your base guarantee should be higher than somebody straight out of school. Okay, right. and then you should pay yourself 30, my belief is 30% of your net collections, of your personal net collections above and beyond your base pay. Okay, and then what that allows you to do, it allows you to make decisions as a business owner. How much can I spend on marketing? How aggressive can I be? How much extra can I save? It allows you to become a true business owner. And that way, if you said, hey, I want to take six months sabbatical for religious reasons or whatever it is, you could literally just plop another one or two dentists to replace your production and you know exactly how much it's going to cost you. And that way also, when and if you get to the point of adding a second dentist to your practice, you're not, hey, am I paying them myself? Am I paying, you know, you, you kind of curate things that are a little bit fair. And what I found when I started doing that is it really gave me, it was really eye-opening for me to how little our practice made as a business owner, percentage Right. Yeah. No, I think it'd probably be a, a good exercise for me to look at. Yeah. You and, know, and, for sure. And, and it prepares you for what may be an eventual future for you in bringing multiple people in or, or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. And that way also the other thing is you get to feel, I think there's a lot of, there's some benefits to feeling the pressure, the pressure <laughs> of, Hey, I'm not going to make this much this month because I'm being lazy or, Hey, I'm going to make more and it teaches more discipline on your good months to save not just enough, but say, you know, to have a continuous savings amount. It totally, it, to a, I don't want to say totally changed, but it really was very eye-opening for me mm -hmm. to, to add that into my practice. Okay. Yeah. How about since I'm doing cone beam mm -hmm. and my patients are pretty much paying out of pocket for that. Okay. Would it make sense to start billing their medical insurance for that? So that's a silly question. <laughs> so um, look, so there's a couple of different ways I can answer it. Okay. Biased as a person who has workshops on medical billing, right. uh, I would say you're nuts not to. But right. at the same time, if you have a system that's not broken and your patients aren't balking at it, why right. necessarily rock the boat there? Okay. Well, I think, you know, it's not that they're, first of all, I'm using it mainly for implants, right? Okay. But my so, question was, why shouldn't you be taking on everybody? Uh, I don't know that we, I don't know. You know, it gets back to, I mean, when you see somebody new, do you take a pano? Do you take a combium? Do you take a, what's the point of a series of x-rays? In all seriousness, what's the point of a panorex? It's, um, I guess there's not a whole lot of point when you have a cone beam. Right. I mean, there's, there's, you know, Pano essentially, sh Panorex is like 8,000-year-old technology. I mean, I don't know exactly how old it is, <laughs> but I mean, it's, if for God's sake, CBCT is 20, 25 years old, you right. know, so uh, Panorex is outdated in my opinion. Full mouth series is a stupid in my opinion. Outdated, I should say. <laughs> I shouldn't say stupid. This is why I get bad reviews sometimes when I speak. I, th I say things are stupid, but yeah, I, well, I would just say, uh, so I think, but anyway, so my, back to your point. My hygiene patient, when they come in, you know, and they're a new patient into the practice and they're not coming in for because they've got a you know missing tooth or something or a toothache and we're, you know, taking our full series of x-ray. I, I think that gives us a lot more information than, than I would argue beam. with you that it doesn't. I think seven intraoral x-rays will show you all the decay. I think the only reason to take intraoral radiographs is to show decay. And I think your yes. cone beam image, assuming that you have a reasonable field of view that shows all of the maxilla and the mandible, uh, it'll show you so much more from a bone level, from a periapical perspective, from a sinus pathology perspective, from a fractured tooth, from a failing endo perspective. I think there's so much that you're missing and so many opportunities that you're not creating. What about the people that aren't missing teeth that they have friends that are missing teeth? 
you know, I take the cone beam as an opportunity to show them that this technology, hopefully you'll never need it, but this right. technology allows us to plan implants virtually, show these things. It's a, there's a wow factor to it. Just like you were impressed when you bought that cone beam machine. There's a reason you bought it, right? You were impressed by the diagnostic capabilities and all of those things. Your patients are no different. So I, I would say that full mouth series are silly, especially in your situation. I would say <laughs> if, if worst case scenario, just bill for the Panorex because it does produce a reconstructed pan and right. make the cone beam kind of part of the Panorex and then look to medical insurance as an option there. I would say on the medical insurance side, and this is a very common thing I see, is you're not asking the right questions on medical insurance. You should be building your exams. You should be looking at how you can bill for surgical guides, how you can bill for stents, how you can bill for sleep appliances, how you can bill for occlusal guards and TMD guards. I think it opens up a whole new world uh, that you're not thinking about. And we've been led to believe that we should think about it just for cone beam. And to right. me, the cone beam represents a smaller portion today of what I'm collecting through medical insurance. But the cone beam it would be the low-hanging fruit there. That if, I would say your correct. exams are the low-hanging fruit. So, but what about, you know, somebody's got dental insurance that's going to cover their exam and we might get so, more money if we build a medical, but they're going to have to pay out of pocket because their deductible is so damn high and they haven't reached the, it. How do you okay. explain that one to the patient? There may be individual situations where you're not right. billing medical. You're choosing to use dental as a primary. Right. And not the medical as a primary. So that'll vary from person to person, case by case basis. And that's something that becomes more obvious to your team members six months in, nine months in, 12 months in, which ones go here, which ones go there. And right. my argument to you would be, let's take the deductible thing because most of your patients have JOBs for corporations, correct? So the deductibles are going to be significantly lower than yours as a self-employed person. So I would say to you on that is that every time you bill dental, you eat up their $1,500 maximum for that full mouth series, for that exam, for that follow-up exam, whatever it may be, that's less money that they have to spend towards restorative treatment or other treatment. So to me, you should leverage medical insurance, which has essentially an unlimited dollar amount. Right. You should leverage that. Now, every state's different. I'm, look, I'm, I know North Carolina. I don't know Massachusetts all that well. Uh, you could certainly contact my friend yeah. Hutan, you know, in yeah. terms of what their, you know, what the results are in Massachusetts and not, you know, all of those things. So I may be incorrect in Massachusetts, but I can only speak to experience from North Carolina. Uh, well, here's what I would say on medical insurance. You're asking great questions. That's good that you're thinking about it. It's on your radar. What I'm telling you is cone beam is not it, not the only <laughs> thing. Okay? Right. I would yeah. say, I would say without question, the vast majority of my medical billing uh, revenue comes from exams and sleep appliances. And that's the other right. thing I didn't notice that you were doing. Your old yeah. patients have sleep apnea. Yes. So, yes, know. you know, and, I... and, and look, <laughs> so on a, and a side note, okay, and this is what, this is my point in this is I want to kind of change your way of thinking is you say to me, you want to do more implants, correct? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's your, yeah. that's your passion, correct? Yeah. Sure. So yeah. I would say to you, and, and this may not make sense to you, okay? But I want you to think about it, okay? I would say to you, what pre one of the things that prevents you from doing more implants is that you're stuck doing fillings and crowns, okay? And you're doing too many of those necessarily. And the reason you're doing so many of those is that you got to pay the bills. you got to produce a certain amount of money. And what I'm saying to you is every sleep appliance in the state of North Carolina for me is about 15 fillings I don't have to do or about three crowns. I don't have to do. Okay. Right. So what that's done is that's freed me up to focus more on those things that I really am passionate about. And so I think you got to look at it, not same with orthodontics, sleep, soft tissue, all these different things. You got to look at it, not in the sense of, I don't have a passion for it, or 
you know, I'm not ready for that. You got to look at it from the broader perspective that, hey, this is going to buy me time because it's a much more revenue producing procedure to be able to really focus in on what I just imagine. Let's say if I gave you half a day off per week, could you build your implant business if you didn't have to see patients and you could focus on marketing and doing all of those things? Yeah, probably. I mean, I would hope uh, so, right? Yeah. So my problem with that was, well, I took your sleep apnea course. Yeah, <laughs> and I took you know I've had that we had a, another um, sleep apnea uh, guru come to our Seattle study club and okay. teach us for a day. One of the issues I found was just in our practice because we are so small. You know, like my assistant, I need sure. me to be to be assisting me. Okay. I, you know, I don't if I if she's yeah, in the other room. I can take impressions. She can. Yes, you know, but, but you know, you the, don't have the follow up. We do. So your assistant yeah. couldn't step away for 10 minutes while you use the Isolite? Possibly. For $2,600? Bucks? Yeah, I guess. Well, that's the point. I guess the n- amount of visits, steps, and things that have to go into getting that, whatever it was, 2600 bucks or whatever, 1800 bucks or, you two know. Grand. Three, Let's just call it two grand. Two grand. Um, seemed to be more work than doing how a, many fi- a how many fillings? How many fillings do you have to do to produce two grand? In that Seven, work or out of eight, no, no, average. Yeah, yeah eight, probably eight, uh, ten. Yeah, five, six, seven. Yeah. So five, six, seven, seven means you're getting three, four hundred dollars per filling. Maybe my cat. Yeah, my cash patients. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not. That's only sixty percent of your practice. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, six, okay, seven, let's eight. Okay, let's call it. Yeah. Let's call it average two hundred dollars. Right. Okay, so that means you have to do ten fillings. Yeah. How, how long do you have to spend on your schedule to do ten fillings? How many know. patients do you have to see? Four to or five hours. Yeah. Okay. So, so what you're telling me is you're unwilling. I mean, I'm, I'm being tough. Okay. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is that you're unwilling to trade four or five hours for a little bit of pain to get to that point where it becomes normal. Right. Yeah. I, I think there, there definitely has to be get- that. There, there's that pain point. Anytime right. you implement something new, especially in your practice where it's smaller. Right. Okay. There's, there's going to be that pain point. And what has to happen is you have to make it so important to you or important enough to you that you can give permission to your, uh, you can A, give permission or force your hygienist to p- participate in that, or you can give your assistant permission to step away for 10 or 15 minutes. Right. Or in worst case scenario, as much as I don't like this, schedule your patient for a proper visit to do the records and things like that. Right. Right. I mean, because and, your alternative is 10 patients. And, and one of the challenges I faced, I think, too, was I, I did bring my chair side dental assistant mm-hmm. to your course, but I didn't bring my office manager and my hygienist, send, you know, send and I think back. that would help send, you can, They can come without yeah. you. I mean, we, and once you, once you come, they can come back. Send your, do send your assistant again. I mean, yeah. send them. I'm yeah. convinced so I, no, that it'll work. I'm convinced that it'll work. Yeah. Look, it's one thing if you come to me and say, Hey, listen, I took the class. I thought it sucked or <laughs> I'm not, I'm never going to do it. But what I would say to you, and look, I'm just being tough. That's just who I am is, is that, is that you made the mistake that most people make is you go back, you're unwilling to go through the pain point, you know, the right. pain of, yes. of making it happen. And you're too, you're, you're too easy going back to Monday morning routine and, right. and it die it dies on the vine. And right. I think it's too important for your patients, too important for your practice and too important for your long-term goals. And you don't even, trust me, you're not understanding that because I didn't understand it until now, until I'm living it. It's too important for your long-term goals to not spend right. the time with. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think I, 
I think I'll get to it. Uh, I will get to it. And, I and ortho to. And, and more implants, you know. Yeah, 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 I know. They all go together, you know, <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day. I Look, I get it. You yeah. can only focus yeah. on so many things. But if I push you or if I push people to focus on 10 things and six things get accomplished, that's, that's better than what most people do. Right. So what I don't want to see for you or anybody else, whether you're millennial, my age, or older, uh, or the greatest generation, whichever one <laughs> it is, is I don't want to see anybody be content. I think contentness is the first step to death, and right. uh, that's no good. Well, David, uh, it has been a pleasure. How can people get in touch with you? I should have asked that at the beginning. Yeah, um, probably email is the best way. D what is your Scardella. email address? It's dscardella, D. S-C-A-R-D-E-L-L-A at gmail.com. Good. And what about Facebook? Is that a good way as well? Facebook, David Scardella. Okay. And thank you so much. Uh, is there anything I've done to irritate you or leave off the table here? Anything else? No, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for having me. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family, T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind, the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode.